0: I do hope you will open your Bibles to Hebrews 12, the text we read, and where we'll stay for the next few minutes. I hope you'll do that and look at it in your own Bible. Hopefully there's one close by you. If you didn't bring one, or maybe on your phone, tablet, look at the text, uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We're going to study this together this morning as part of our worship. Uh, I said earlier, I'm so glad you're here. I mean that. We are glad you're here, and I'm glad to see Our members, of course, it's good to see visitors, and we welcome every one of you. We hope today is a blessing to us all as we think about what God would have us to learn as we come together as His people to worship Him. Have you ever been discouraged in your faith? Ever been discouraged? Gotten frustrated with God, maybe? Has life ever been difficult for you because you're a Christian? Have people at work or school ever made life difficult for you because you will not participate in certain things? You ever had doubts about God? You ever wondered if it's worth it, if it's really worth it? Maybe this whole faith thing is just a sham? You ever look back to the times before you became a Christian and thought, man, I'd like to go back to those days. That was, those were the carefree days. Those were the fun days. You ever had those, those times? In every church I've ever worshipped with, been associated with, every church that I know of, if you look at the church role from ten years ago and you compare it to the church role of today, you'll find something interesting. The role will be different. It'll change, of course, and and things happen in ten years. You have people who, who pass away. They go on to be with the Lord. You have people whose occupations take them to another city. and They leave this congregation, but they're active in another one, in another city. And Then you also have something else. You have some differences between the church role of ten years ago and the church role of today, not because of death, not because of moving away for school or work, but because people become unfaithful. So if you look at ours today, you look at our membership role today, and you compare it to the role of 2009, there will be differences. Some because of the reasons I've already explained, some because we have people in our church who are not walking with Christ anymore. And that is something that discourages us all, you know? It discourages those of us who are in ministry, or those in the eldership, those... If you're, if you're a part of this church and you're involved in this church, it discourages you because you, you think, what was it? And, and sometimes we let it happen too easily and without even noticing, perhaps. It's one of the reasons why we do the attendance thing. You may think that's, I don't know, it's tedious or whatever, but one of the reasons we do that is so that we might pay attention to our congregation here. And in a church that has more than 300 or so in attendance every morning, it's easy for people not to be here and for us not even to know. And what happens sometimes is that people start drifting. In fact, in this letter, in this book that we're studying this morning, back in Hebrews 2, the writer there, in fact, addresses that. He says, lest at any time, we need to hold hold fast to these things, lest at any time we should let them slip or we should start to drift. Usually, falling away from God isn't something that happens overnight. You know, it's not, it's not some big thing. It's something that happens just a little bit at a time. Just a little bit at a time. Joel talked about the spiritual disciplines. We, we start to forsake those. We, we start having time with God only on Sunday mornings, or only on Sundays perhaps, only on when we come to this building, we, we start to forsake those daily disciplines of Bible reading, of prayer, of meditation. We start to slip. We start to gradually, not intensely. We just, we just wake up one morning and our faith is cold. I think I've shared with you the story. I think of this often when I'm thinking about this topic. I may have shared with you the story about Something that happened to my dad when he was in the Navy, and he was stationed at that time in Hawaii. And he and some of his buddies got involved in snorkeling, and they were having a good time snorkeling when they were off duty. And there, I don't know which island it was, but there, somewhere in Hawaii, he and some buddies were snorkeling, and they got he got interested in in a particular fish that he was following, brightly colored fish, whatever. And he started, started following it. Snorkel, of course, was up. He was looking down into the water. And time passed. And, and then he, he thought, I need to look and see where I am. And he lifted his head out of the water. And he could see the beach way off in the distance. He didn't, he didn't realize that what had happened is he had become so interested in this fish that he was following that he neglected to, to, to take constant note of where he was in relationship to the shore. He, he started swimming, and obviously, you know, he made it back. But he said there were, there were times during that swim he thought, I'm not going to make it. I'm, I'm not going to be able to swim that far. I'm, I'm tired. I'm just going to quit, you know. But he kept swimming and eventually made it back. And I wonder if sometimes with you, me, maybe, with people who aren't in this, assembly right now. I wish they were, but they're not. They're... I wonder if, if sometimes with us, we get our eyes focused on something, some brightly colored thing of the world, some, the glitz and the glamour, the, the fun thing, the bright thing, the, the immediate thing, the thing I can see with my eyes right now, the weekend, that, that tangible thing, right? If I get my eyes, you get your eyes focused on that thing, and before we know it, we have drifted so far away from the thing that really counts... It's hard to make it back. That's what he's talking about in Hebrews 12. That's what this is about. This is for people. I know you're here this morning, and so some of the folks who need to hear this lesson, read this text, aren't here. But you're here today, and, and my guess is, in an assembly like this, we always know, we're all over the place spiritually, on a spectrum. Some of you are as close to Jesus Christ as you've ever been. Some of you, some of you have taken some steps away from Him, maybe not intentionally, not consciously, but if we're all being honest, if, we're all, if we were all in a room where we could share this openly, some of us would have to say, you know what, I'm a long way from Christ right now. Nobody else knows this, uh, nobody else knows this, but I'm, I'm just not, I'm not really close to Him anymore. And I don't know exactly what happened, it, it's kind of happened over time, but... See, he's talking to us. He's talking to Christians. He's you know, I don't know what your tendency might be. It might be to, to think, well, that's not me. I'm not discouraged. I'm not walking away from him. That's great. I hope that is the case. But don't think that because you're close to him right now, that there won't come a time in your life where Satan kind of he he whispers some things in your ear and you start to listen a little bit more than you maybe would like to admit, you know? It happens to us all. It happens to us all. It happens to preachers. It happens to elders. It happens to all of us, no matter what role in this church we play. Look at Hebrews 12. Let's look at the text again. Because I, this, is a, this is a powerful, very powerful text. It is one that's needed by every Christian. Therefore, he says. By the way, let me point out just a couple things about this text as, as we go through it so that you're aware of some, some emphases that he puts here, the writer. The word therefore... You know, the word therefore is a lot in the Bible. Uh, if you've read the New Testament, you've got a lot of therefores. But this one, you should know, translates a word that's only used one other time in the entire New Testament. And the reason the writer uses it is that it is particularly emphatic. It's, you, you'll read therefore. Paul uses therefore a lot. But, but he doesn't use this word. This is a word that he's been talking for 11 chapters now. 11 chapters And then he comes to this point, and he says, therefore, therefore, listen to this. We talked about the word behold last week. This is a word, different word, of course, but this is the word therefore, and it carries that kind of emphasis. In fact, you may may have heard this expression before. You you see this a lot in in the Bible. This is where the writer switches from the indicative to the imperative. You know what I mean by that? He switches from the indicative to the imperative. He's talked about what is for 11 chapters. This is the way things are. This is the truth of the matter. This is who Jesus is. This is how Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than the angels. He's better than the uh, priesthood of Aaron. This is who Jesus is. That's the indicative. That's that's an observation. This is a, a teaching about what is. But then he switches to the imperative. From the indicative what is to the imperative what ought to be. This is what we ought to do in view of what is. This is that moment. This is that emphatic moment where he's been teaching them for 11 chapters. And now he comes to them and he says, Okay, this is what this means to to us. This is what we ought to do. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, "...and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God." Now, one more observation about the text, about the grammar of the text, to help us understand it. Look in verse 1 there, at the end of verse 1. This doesn't come through as well in translations. As it does in the original, there is one main verb here. Okay, there's one. There's one. Uh, it's a. It's an imperative. It's a. It's a let us statement. It's, but that's an imperative. Uh, it's this. What's called a. It's a particular kind of construction that that has to do with let's do this. There's an emphasis here, and it's at the end of verse one. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now it's a little bit confusing here because in the translation I'm reading from at the first part of verse 12 I've got a let us also lay aside every weight. In fact, if you're using the NIV, you're going to have three let us statements there, okay? So depending on what translation you've got, you've probably got more than one let us statement in this in these two verses. But only one of them is in this particular form that lets it be the dominant verb of the text. This matters. Because I want you to see what his main point is. And everything around it is supporting that main point. And his main verb is at the end of verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That is, if you're diagramming. You you remember diagramming when you were in the... What grade do you diagram? Do you still diagram? I don't even know if we do that anymore. That's fun. and Everybody loves to diagram sentences. So if you're diagramming, this is going to be... This is going to be on the main line, okay? Let us... run. I don't even remember how to do it exactly, but this is, this is going to be on the main line. I know that, okay? Everything else is coming off of that, you know? Everything else is coming off of that. Everything is coming off of that line. That's, just, that's, that's the main thing of, the, of verses 1 and 2. In the Greek, it's one long sentence. Verses 1 and 2, it's just one long sentence, all right? And that's the main thing. Everything else is coming off of that in some way. In fact, he's got three... If you're interest, interested in such things, he's got three participles, which often are translated with ing, but they're not here, nor they're not here in our text, at least not the whole time. <coughs> in verse one, he says, "Since we are surrounded," that's one of the participles. Um, so we run with endurance because we're surrounded. That's the participle. And let us lay aside every weight. We run with endurance by laying aside every weight. And then we run with endurance by looking to Jesus, verse 2. That's the third one. All right, I know you didn't come here to, to, to learn grammar. But I, but I do want you to see just kind of what he's getting at here. The main thing is let us run with endurance. Now let's, let's think about what he's trying to teach you and me. All right. Go to that next slide if you would. The, uh, so look at verse 1. So, but remember what we talked about already. In verse 1, let us run with endurance. I'm going to get there in a minute. But let us run with endurance because of the crowd that surrounds us. Because of the crowd that surrounds us. Now, in order to, to get this, you've got to go back to the previous chapter, which is a long chapter. Chapter 11 is a great chapter. It's the you know, Faith's Hall of Fame, the Heroes of Faith. Great chapter where he... He points to all these people who've run this race before us. You know, he talks about Moses and he talks about Abraham and he talks about David. I mean, it's just a great chapter about Abel and, and so on. All these people who walked by faith. They walked by faith. They walked by faith. And then he comes to our text and he says, therefore, again, only used two times in all the New Testament, that word therefore. This is a strong thing. I just talked about all these people. Therefore, we run with endurance because in view of the fact that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. That's We, we do it in view of that. That's, that's why we do this. So That's one of the reasons why we do this, in view of this great cloud of witnesses. Now, obviously, he's using athletic imagery here, right? And this is common in the first century world. Forerunner of our Olympics, you know, started way back in the time of the Greeks. And so you've got a, a background here of the games that they would have. And, and this is, this, they would have understood, understood fully what he's, what he's talking about here. And so we're tempted to think here, and I think with good reason, of the, of the throngs of people who are gathered in the arena as the long race comes to its conclusion. I believe he wants us to think that. You can take the athletic stuff too far and think about things he's not emphasizing here, but he is using this imagery of the the Romans, of the the Greeks, you know, these games, and they're finishing up this long marathon-like run in the arena, and the crowd is standing. And the writer here says, we run with endurance in view of the fact that we've got this great throng of witnesses I love that idea, you know. I love that. I just think that's really cool. If you've ever participated in any kind of athletic event, from whatever, whatever kind of event it is, he's talking about running here. So if you've ever run a race, a long race, and you think, I don't think I can do this. I'm going to quit. I'm tired. You know, I want to. I want to stop. But then you know, there's. There's somebody who's cheering you on. You know, there's somebody who's waiting at the finish line, waiting to see when you're going to get there. This great cloud of witnesses. Again, not, this is not the leading verb here, but it is important for you and me to think about. I'm guessing, in fact, I know this is true. There are people in this room right now. You cannot wait to run into the arms of someone, you know, that when that day comes, you cannot wait to embrace that loved one. Won't that be awesome? Won't it be incredible? I don't. I, 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 it's just this idea. He says, "This this crowd of witnesses has done this before, and I think he's." He's talking specifically about the Hebrews 11 people. But for us, he might be talking about grandma. Or he might be talking about a husband. He might be talking about a son or a daughter. Who they lived a life of faith. And because of that, they're enjoying that reward now. And won't it be a, a beautiful thing to join them in that great celebration around the throne of God. So we run with endurance in view of this great cloud of witnesses and then he says the second part in this text is in the uh, next part of verse one let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely the sin that hinders us we we run with endurance because of this great cloud of witnesses but we run with endurance by making sure that we attend to those things that keep us from running as well as we should in fact I should have worded this differently. Because if you look at the text again, he says, let us lay aside aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let's talk about the second one before we talk about the first one. Runners in the first century, by the way, would run. uh, What was the the statement was, I read from one guy was, "They they ran virtually naked. They got rid of everything. And that's not too dissimilar from modern-day Olympics, right? They run virtually naked. And they do it primarily because anything on your body, when you're competing at that level, anything on your body will slow you down by just a little bit. He's, He's talking about that sort of thing here. He says, of course, he's not talking about a little race, but he says, we know what they do. We, as Christians, need to get rid of anything that keeps us from running as well as we we could. And so he talks about two things. He talks about the sin. He talks about the sin that hinders us. This is a, and we could reflect on this for a while, but let me ask you to do this because we need to. I need to and you you need to as well. Just answer this between you and God. What sin in your life right now are you hanging on to? What habit, what distraction, what sinful thing in your life, a sin of the mind, a sin of the flesh, a sin of omission, a sin of commission, what sin in your life is hindering you from running the Christian race as well as you could? Please have the courage to face that in your life. Because nobody else can do that for you. You can't do it for me and I can't do it for you. He is asking us to be self-reflective here and to recognize that sin holds us back. And I could start listing sins. We could use biblical text. We could use Galatians 5, where he talks about the works of the flesh. He talks about lasciviousness. Is there a sexual sin, sin of the mind, sin of the flesh that you're involved in right now? If you are involved in this, let me be more specific. If as Christians, you're having sex outside of marriage, you are bringing displeasure to God. And it is keeping you from living the Christian life as well as you should. If you're involved in a sexual sin of the mind, if you're looking at pornography, it is drawing you away from your relationship to Christ. It is bringing displeasure to the mind of God. And it is keeping you from running the race. We are tempted because of the world we live in and because of our sinfulness, our sinful humanity, we are tempted to make excuses for what we do. And we're tempted to compare it to other folks and to say, well, at least it's not that. Do you see this, this, this book here? Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. We could go back and hit to Hebrews chapter 10, to Hebrews chapter 6. And throughout this text, he's, he's warning them. He says, how can you do this? How can you drag? How can you drag Jesus Christ into the mud? How can you take your sin and put it in the face of a holy God? How can you do that? And so this isn't something to play around with. He says you you get rid of this. You get rid of whatever it is that is clinging closely to you. Because it's going to hinder you. We Talk about sexual sin. Certainly that's an issue. It's an issue in his day. It's an issue in 21st century America, isn't it? But it's not just that. course we could talk about gossip. We could talk about materialism when we get consumed with consumption and consumed with accumulating, and our identities are tied up in what we have and what we drive and where we live. Or we could talk about the lust for power when our identity is tied up in, in, in how successful we are. How many people call us boss? How many people look up to us in our particular profession. And we, we could we could talk about reputation or, or or achievement and it could be tied up in, in education. It can be tied up in, in in academia where my identity is is intimately connected to being recognized academically, intellectually. You see there's so many ways that that Hebrews 12 is relevant to us. And, And that's why I don't think he names this sin which clings so closely. In the context for them, perhaps it may have been they were tempted to go back under the law of Moses, under the Jewish law, and turn their backs on Christ. For us, it is different. And I don't know what it is for you, but every one of us has that thing. You know, I, I say there are two things here. It's not only the sin that hinders us, and there is an interesting thing, the way he puts this is, he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And so I believe he phrases it like that because he wants us to recognize sometimes it's not the sin that's holding you back. It is some other kind of distraction that in and of itself is not sinful. It may not be the sexual sin or the gossip or the pride. It may not be that. It may just be some sort of distraction. Some sort of something that we get our eyes on, that brightly colored fish in the water, so to speak. There's nothing wrong with that thing. There's nothing wrong with a job. There's nothing inherently wrong with that pursuit. There's nothing wrong with that hour of time. Inherently. But that thing is keeping us from running the race. And so, so many times I think, we are, we are tempted, we, we might neglect that, that time of Bible study. And I've said it before, you've said it before. I just don't have time to get my reading done today, my Bible reading. I don't have time to spend X number of minutes in prayer today because I've just got so many things on my to-do list. I wonder for, for, for all of us, though, sometimes we get caught up in, we've, we've, we, we find time for Facebook and Instagram, and Snapchat and Netflix and Hulu. We find time for certain things. But then, we don't have time for the thing that's more important. There's nothing wrong with Netflix or Hulu or Snapchat. There's nothing inherently wrong with the concept, right? So I think he may be talking to us about lay aside every weight. If that thing, and it could be exercise, it, it could be diet, it could be the house or the car. Again, nothing inherently wrong. But he's saying, Whatever it is, if it's distracting you from running with endurance the race that's set before you, you need to deal with it. You need to deal with it. And only you and I know what he's talking about to us. And so he says, let us run with endurance. And this is where we we, we get to that. The, The race that is set before us, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. He's talking about a marathon here. He's not talking about a... He's not talking about a 10K, he's not talking about a 5K, certainly not talking about a 400 meter or a 100 meter. He's talking about a marathon, that's what the Christian race is. It's something that we, we do for the long haul. That's what Christianity is. Uh, I think of the parable of the sower, you know, in Matthew 13 where, where Jesus talks about the four different kinds of soils. And one of those soils, one of those kinds of soil is, is a kind that has thorn seeds mixed in with it. And the good seed is there and it grows quickly, grows quickly. But then those thorns choke it out over time. And what he's talking about there, what Jesus is talking about is the person who becomes a Christian. This is awesome. I love it. I just, I'm, I'm on fire. I love this. I want to tell everybody about it. Six months later, three years later, six years later, a decade later, it gets kind of hard. What do we do at those times? See, that's what he's talking about here. We run with endurance the race that is set before us. We've got to run this race. I've got to leave myself enough time to, say, to talk about this. This is it. Everything he's been saying. So we run with endurance in view of the great cloud of witnesses. We run with endurance by getting rid of sinful things, non-sinful things, whatever it is that's keeping me from running as well as I might. But then it's all been heading here. This third participle, verse 2, is emphatic again. This is a, there's an emphasis here in the text. We run with endurance. Yeah, in view of that great cloud, but that's not the main thing main thing you walk with Christ isn't because you're going to get to see that loved one in heaven. That's not the main reason. You you run with endurance by by putting aside those things that are hindering you, yes. But again, that's not the main thing. That's part of it. But where this is going is verse 2. By looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross... Despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We look, how do we run with endurance the race that is set before us? We look at Christ. We look at Jesus. We don't take our eyes off of Him. We don't look at the crowd. In fact, isn't that the best way to lose your focus in an athletic endeavor? By taking your eyes off of where you're going and focusing on the externals, right? Well, I, he, he is saying, you look at Christ in the Christian race. You look at the crowd too much. You look at the people around you. You even look at your own sin too much. You get discouraged and distracted by your own shortcomings. That's not where you focus your attention. Yeah, there. we were talking about it earlier. We do think about those things in our lives that are keeping us from going where we ought. That's not our main focus. We keep our eyes on Him. And so, when we start slipping, it's because we've stopped thinking about and focusing on Jesus. We might be neglecting the table, the table of communion, the worship assembly. Two chapters earlier, He had encouraged them Don't neglect these assemblies, these these regular gatherings of your people. Don't neglect those. You need that. And so we might neglect the assembly, and in so doing, we take our eyes off of Christ. We, We might neglect Jesus by not focusing Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, on Scripture, on prayer, on meditation, on the disciplines, because we need that looking unto Jesus, who's run this race before us. You know, the text here, it, 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 it's something that we need to come back to again and again, because when we're tempted to sin, when we're tempted to quit, we're tempted to, to say, you know, I'm done with this Christianity thing, it's just too hard, I'm, I can't do it. He says you need to look at Christ. We talk about Jesus a lot here, because that's where our faith is. It's in Him. We need to think about Him more than we do just on Sundays, you know. But, uh, but, but you see what He's saying here. On that Thursday night when Jesus was arrested in the garden, they, throughout that Thursday night to the wee hours of Friday morning, they slapped Him and punched Him and spat on Him, abused Him physically, abused Him verbally. And then He was taken before Pilate about dawn the next day and Pilate's soldiers had their way with him. They sent him over to Herod and ultimately back to Pilate. And throughout that ordeal Thursday night and Friday until that order of crucifixion was given sometime that morning, Jesus endured some horrible things. You think about what was it that kept him going. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. And in a very real way, he's saying, it's, the text is saying, Jesus scorned the scorn." They heaped the shame on him, but he in his because he was so single-minded, he scorned the scorn. He ignored their shame because he was so concerned about finishing his race. And the writer here says that's where our faith is. That's why we keep going. That's why when we fall down, we get back up. That's why when we have let him down. We don't let other people tell us we're unworthy. We know that because of His grace, He will pick us back up. He will forgive us. He'll dust us off. And He'll get back in the race with us. Looking unto Jesus. That's why we need assemblies. That's why we need Bible reading. We need discipline. We need Christian friends. Because we need collectively to encourage one another to keep our eyes focused on what really counts. What really counts is not the accumulation of things. It's not the satisfaction of physical desires. What really counts in the end is crossing that finish line and falling into the arms of Jesus. And There will be nothing in this life, no temporal pleasure, there will be nothing in this life that we neglected, that at that moment we will regret whatever sacrifice we made to follow Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, looking unto Jesus, and when we finish that marathon, and we break that ribbon, so to speak, and we cross over, and His nail-scarred hands are going to be stretched out, and He's going to welcome us into His arms, and there will be nothing that can compare to that. Don't quit! You know, don't, don't, don't you dare ever give up on Him. He won't give up on you. If you're not a Christian today, we invite you to begin the race by confessing Christ, putting Him on in baptism. He'll walk with you. It won't be easy. It won't won't always be easy. Christian life is hard sometimes, but He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll keep on forgiving you, provided that you stay in the race and don't turn your back on Him. He will walk with you from here until the end. Maybe you need to come back to Him today. You're a child of God, but you haven't lived as one should. And you've taken your eyes off of Jesus, and you've you've started focusing on things in the world. We invite you today, and we ask you today, if you need to come back to Jesus Christ, why don't you do that now? If you need to come to Him for the first time in baptism, why don't you do that now? Let's stand. Let's sing this song.